All right. Today, um, our passage comes from Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and, joyful, and joyfully sing your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed low. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open their hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. You can be seated. Thanks, Kate, for, for reading for us this morning. I'm always good for a little KJV. Just remind us where we came from, you know, where we're going. Hey, good morning. My name is Mark. I am one of the pastors here. I love all of you, even if I haven't met you yet. And I am just really thankful to be preaching uh, this morning on praise and prayer. But before we get started, there are four kinds of people in the world, okay? Specifically, there are four kinds of vacationers in the world, and who you are says a lot about you. There are four kinds, okay? Beach, city, mountains, and the nocationers. Um, a nocationer would call themselves a staycationer, but if you tell me that your vacation is staying at home and catching up on house projects and watching Netflix, you're a nocationer in my view. Um, I'm more sympathetic to the beach and the city vacationers, but not... So much. I just have a hard time uh, choosing between getting hot and sweaty and sunburnt and sandy, um, or and, and all that in the name of fun, or going to a city where most of the people that you're seeing are at work, right? Or they're staycationing, which is even worse. Which is exactly what I'm trying not to do. I'm trying not to see people who just you know had an argument about the cheesy pita in the fridge, and then. But my parents raised me, right? My parents are here this morning, um, and they raised me as a mountain man. Well, I'm, my jeans are a little too skinny to be a mountain man, but I like going to the mountains on vacation. Nobody's working in the mountains, you know what I mean? You're just there to enjoy. And man, when you climb a 14er in Colorado, you are really tapping into something. It doesn't matter who you are at the top of a mountain in the Rockies. Everyone there is worshiping. You know, they're either trying to capture the moment on their phone so they can relive it, or they're just staring off into the magnificent view. You know, people are kind of scattered out at the top of one of those cliffs, and they're 
and they're just and adoring the magnificent creation God has made. We were made to praise God, um, and this morning we want to look at what it means to praise God in prayer. We're in the middle of a series um, on prayer in the Psalms, and our desire is to be a praying church. And what better um, book to look at than the very prayer book that Jesus himself used. We've been looking at a lot of different elements of prayer through the series, and this week we're going to be talking about praise and prayer. The Psalms are literally a book of praise, and they they actually treat all form of praise as prayer. And so we'll be looking this uh, this morning about how um, the Psalms guide us through the purpose and practice and power of praise and prayer. That's five Ps for Jeremy, if he's, if he's counting for me. So praise and prayer happens in our personal times of prayer. It happens when we're reading the Psalms. Uh, praise happens in, in prayer and CG together, right? And even when we're singing here together on Sunday morning, we are praising God by praying. Like whenever you are praising, you are praying, right? So what, we're, what we want to look at this morning is, is this. Praising God in prayer today it forms us into the forever worshiper that we're becoming. Praising God in prayer today forms us into the forever worshipers that we're becoming. So let me pray for us um, as we get started. Jesus, you reign as king. Your dominion is an everlasting dominion. You are high and lifted up, and you've been given the name above every name. We pray that you who are high and lifted up and and hold the universe by the very word of your power, who has also given us your spirit, who is nearer to us in our very next breath, please show us what it means to praise you in our prayers. Form us into, into that which we know we are becoming, which is redeemed worshipers in the new heavens and the new earth. Holy Spirit, move, we pray, in our hearts, for you are for you are magnificent, you are kind and, and generous, and your steadfast loving kindness has been, has been with us through all, all the generations of your people. And so we praise you this morning, open our hearts to, uh, to follow you a little more deeply into a life of praise. Amen. So first, the purpose, the purpose of praise. Uh, praise is an essential part of prayer. The, the Psalms continue... They, they contain this vast um, landscape of human emotions and experience. There's like, there's loss and joy and triumph and defeat and exaltation and betrayal and love and injustice and all these things in the psalm. Like the psalms cre- contain pretty much the whole spectrum of human emotions and experience. But the editors of the psalms decided to end this magnificent collection of prayers and songs and praise. The, the entire book of Psalms in your Bible is structured in this really interesting way. So there's five, actually five books in the Psalms. So if you were to like flip back to Psalm 107, you would see like it's the beginning of book five. And at the end of every one of those books is like a hallelujah Psalm. It is a Psalm that this point is essentially merely just praise the Lord forever and ever, right? So it's, there's a hallelujah Psalm. And so the, um, when we get to the end of book five, it starts in Psalm 145 which is our psalm for today. And it's a psalm of praise you would expect at the end of, at the end of a book. But then the editors, give, they go on and say, okay, to end these five books of praise, we're going to do five more psalms of praise that pretty much just repeat in different forms, praise the Lord forever and ever. We see here that 
Eugene Peterson, as he says, the end of prayer, as we see in the Psalms, is praise. The goal at which all the psalm prayers arrive after their long travels through unmapped back countries of pain, doubt, and trouble is praise. The end in both senses of the word that it is our purpose and it is our final destination to bring praise to God. Praise being this, praise is an expression to God with a thankful heart of who he is or what he's done. It's an expression to God with a thankful heart of who he is or what he's done. And and we see this from start to finish, end to end, even in Psalm 145, it paints a picture of how the very fibers of our being are made to declare to God with a thankful heart who he is and what he's done. So Psalm 145 is is an acrostic poem and it contains every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, each, each sentence starts with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it goes like, A, adore the Lord. B is for bring him praise, like all the way down to like, even the zebrafish praise his name, right? Like they use every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And what they're ex- expressing is that every single part of life, as exhaustive as language itself, is made to praise the Lord. We even see like from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to the end, it ends up, we end up singing God's praise. Psalm, verse 21 of our psalm says, let every creature praise his holy name. And then in the culmination of all things, we, we see in Revelation 19, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the new heavens and the new earth begin, John describes what he sees and hears of the people like this. He says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. You were made to praise. Everything in the bookends, between the bookends of your life is a formational and necessary path that lead us into the state of forever worshipers that our souls are longing so deeply to be. So that's our purpose and praise. And then, and then practice. You know, a lot of sermons about prayer, they go something like this. Prayer is not hard. You should do it more, right? And at least that's what I hear when I, when I hear these sermons. And of course, that can lead me to the conclusion that if something is not very hard and it's super important, then me not doing it well or me not doing it enough is just merely my fault. But I don't want to preach that sermon this morning, so I'm not going to. Instead, I want to acknowledge two things. One, prayer is hard. Two, instead of willing yourself to pray, this is important, there is a better way of being willing to respond to the Spirit's invitation. We'll talk about that more here. But first, prayer is hard. A few weeks ago when we were in our Exodus series, um, I preached on the paradox of God's presence. That is, we feel like we can't live with God, but then we also can't live without him. We so desperately need his presence for life itself, and yet his presence is so weighty and so glorious that it can be a crushing and an overwhelming thing. And there isn't a more explicit time when we dare flirt with the very presence of God than when we praise him in prayer. And so we are necessarily then changed by our exposure to him. Um, in, in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, there's in the part of the story where the bus shows up to heaven and the new arrivals get out, there's a bus, it shows up to heaven, and they were in ha- kind of in hell. It's a whole thing. But the, uh, the bus shows up to heaven, there's new arrivals. I, I'm not saying it's theologically accurate here, but it's reflective in this next sense. 
that the people get out and they're kind of like ghosts, like they're very, very insubstantial to, to the point where the grass itself feels like diamonds and they can't drink the water because the water has too much substance for them. And, and they have to spend, more, and it's very painful, but they have to spend more time just even right outside the doors of the bus as they try to, as they try to navigate the landscape until they are formed into more substantial beings so that they can go deeper into this new land that's available to them. And prayer and praise can feel like this sometimes. We may not even know why it feels so hard, but one of the reasons is that we are being transformed and changed by the weight of God's glory as we seek to engage him in prayer. It's hard, but it is, it is because you are being formed by the presence of God's glory. And then second, just willing yourself to pray or, you know, to pray more and to praise more is not sustainable. Just willing yourself to do it is not sustainable. There are times when we are so empty and God feels so far that we don't feel like praying. Many days we don't wake up like our psalmist does in 145 and say, I will exalt you, my God and my King. Like that is not the first thing. And there's some, there's some of you, I know you, that that is the way you live and God bless you. But for the rest of us, that is not how we wake up every day. Instead, we feel more like Psalm 137. When, when the Jews were held in captivity in Babylon, they were in the land of their enemies. They wrote in Psalm 137, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Instead of willing yourself to praise, praise has to be a response to God, to his work, his character, to, to his invitation to intimacy willing yourself to be harder or to be better, to pray harder, to, to fight through your inadequacies is not going to be helpful. But being willing to respond to God's invitation is the way forward. It seems like a slight nuance, but it is a, it's a paradigmal shift to the way that you engage with God in praise. Like listen to what a dry and empty David sings when he is in a place where praise and prayer seems distant. In the psalm, he remembers the power and presence of God as an invitation to start a song of praise. So we're in Psalm 63. David says this, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So he is, he, he is far from God. He is longing for him, but he is far from him. And then he remembers, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and I beheld your glory and your power. And then in response, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. We get the sense in the Psalm that as David is telling God of his desperate state, he's like at the same time opening himself up to an invitation from God to praise him and then responding to the love of God that he is that he is receiving. In our passage in verse 14, um, it describes the kind of character and nearness that God has to those who are brought low and who feel distant. 145, 14 says, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Really practically what that means is that the spirit is closer than we think. He's even closer than the very next breath that we're about to breathe. And one of the ways that you can respond to the spirit is to accept his invitation to lock in or to, or to, to step deeper into worship and prayer when you're singing or when you're praying or when you're, 
and you're reading the Psalms. So by way of illustration, in my professional life, um, some of you already know this that work with me, but I have a really bad habit from running from like one meeting to another. And though I'm like at the next meeting, my mind hasn't caught up yet. So uh, this has gotten particularly bad, particularly bad in the days of remote work. And I know I'm kind of young, but I do remember walking, you know, being in the office, going into a windowless room, no computers, you bring your notepad and you all, you know, pay attention to each other and take notes. Some of you remember that. You Zoomers here don't. But well, but then, uh, but now today I just jump from Zoom link to Zoom link, right? Like I'm just going to virtual meeting, virtual meeting. And I've developed this bit, bit of, of a reputation for not being locked into the meeting for the first five minutes or so like while I wrap up what I'm doing on another screen. But then there's this moment where, and I know you've experienced this in the days of COVID, that somebody asked you a question and like you weren't really paying attention and there's like five people waiting for you to respond. And then from that, at that moment, I go from being like very distracted to locked in, right? Like all my attention is right there. So much that people have started saying like, well, now that Mark is actually here, we can get the meeting started. Um, my coworkers here, they'll, they'll give it to me later. But what happens in that moment? The, the presence of the people are ready to engage. So I, I, I notice the presence of the people and the purpose of what the time is supposed to be. They all come into really sharp focus for me and I am locked in. The, the, the weight of the presence and the purpose of the moment are there for me. And, that, and I think that's what the Spirit does with us in praise and prayer. Like we'll be gathered in pre-service prayer together and I'll be praying one of those autopilot prayers. And, and then all of a sudden there's this quiet but inviting leading to recognize that I, you know, I'm praising the God of the universe with his chosen church in a way that we will be praising him forever and eternity. And all of a sudden I go from autopilot prayer to invitation of like a locked in deeper praise with God. Or, or, you know, the, the difference between singing the words on the screen and then like really locking in, like there's, there's, kind of a, there's kind of a level there. That's you inviting, you responding to the invitation of the Spirit. And so my inv invitation to you on a very practical level is not to try to like will yourself into a deeper state of praise, but to seek out the invitation from the Spirit to follow Him into the presence and the purpose of the moment. And hear this too, like, it's okay and expected to go through a whole worship night or a whole Sunday morning without like getting locked in. I don't even love, you know, that phrase isn't great, but like to, it's, it's going to happen that you'll, that you'll go through the motions and, and still never experience that deeper praise. And personally, I really struggle with being present and worship and prayer. Um, I've spent a lot of my life trying to will myself to be better in this area. And it's only been in the last couple of years that responding to God instead of, instead of willing myself to be better, that, that it has become a deeper and larger part of my prayer and praise life. And to be clear, we aren't chasing a feeling here. That is not what we're about in worship and in prayer and praise. We are merely listening for the Spirit to draw us in deeper. And we know that He can just work in us in so many different ways than we could possibly have willed ourselves to otherwise. It's important to know that you're not always going to be locked in. And, and sometimes you'll go whole seasons like David did, feeling distant and dry. But it's practicing that form of worship and, and opening ourselves to prayer that is the pattern that then leads us into renewal and into deep praise. That's what, that's what liturgy is, by the way. Liturgy is the rails on which we set our hearts each week together to prepare ourselves 
to receive God's invitation to lock us in and bring us deeper into praise. You know, liturgies, when we are dry and lonely, we're remembering God's goodness and his story of the gospel. Or like when we're distracted, we use liturgy to carry us along into a place of presence. We're not willing ourselves to pray harder or to pre, or to worship better. We are stirring our willingness to hear the invitation of God. As an example, like when we do call to worship, that portion of the liturgy at the beginning of the service, for, for those of you lobby dwellers, that's the thing we do before we start the first song and you come in. It serves as a purpose, like my coworker saying, Mark, put your phone down. The meeting is starting. We are here. There is a different purpose of this time. It calls us into the presence and the purpose of the moment. We don't, we're not a fake it till you make it kind of church here, but we are a sing until you worship kind of place. And we can use the Psalms to pray until we praise. That's what David does in Psalm 63 and responding to the love God initiates with him and prays. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. Speaking of lifting up your hands, raising our hands in worship and practicing like what I'll call like a more embodied worship serves kind of as like a similar uh, purpose to liturgy for us. So there's this quote, I thought it was John Calvin. I gave it the old college try on the internet. I don't know who said it, but it wasn't me. But um, I'm kind of citing my sources here, so it's fine. We, the quote, wherever it came from, says this. We raise our hands in worship so that our hearts might follow. We raise our hands in worship so that our hearts might follow. When you see people here at Trinity, and I know we have a large range of um, faith and non-faith backgrounds that are in this room right now. And so when you see people here uh, raising their hands in worship, it's because they are both responding to the leading of the Spirit into deeper worship, and they're physically expressing a spiritual reality that they both desire uh, with, with the goal of giving God more praise. They're setting their hearts on the rails of worship. And if you're, if you're not really like a raise your hands in public sort of person, um, that's okay, uh, but I do encourage you to physically kind of express that hope in your heart. Just give it a try in private. You know, put some worship music on at home. Put those AirPods on noise cancel mode. Uh, and outstretch your hands to God in heaven to both open your heart to the Spirit and to express the adoration that He deserves. Just like give it a try. Just like, it, it's, all, it's all right, your kids are asleep. Like, it's, it's not a problem. We are embodied creatures. We are not just brains in a jar that are ascending to intellectual truths about God. When you are in the new heavens and the new earth, you better believe that in your new body, those new hands are going to lift themselves and worship to God himself. Praise and worship in prayer is the way that we are formed into the forever worshipers we will be for eternity. So give it a try now because that's what you're going to be forever. And finally, on the practice point, we see in Psalm 45 that praise and prayer aren't only a solo project. Praise also happens in community. So as I read the Psalm, think of how the people are telling God's work to one another. Starting in verse five, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. 
One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They, your people, they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And then he responds, he says, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They, your people, they tell of your power and your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. In our individualistic culture, there's this temptation for praise and prayer to be kind of the like, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to do me sort of thing. But praise has to also be at least in part in community. Another practical point, I'm full of practicals this morning, but when, when, you, when we sing together, Try opening your eyes and, and, and listening to the voices of your brothers and sisters that are praying. If you're sitting in front of me in worship, then that won't be too hard. But for, for another, just try to listen to, to, to what they're singing. And then when you sing, think of not only singing to God, but then also declare the goodness of God's work and his character to the people in the room with you. You don't have to, you know, you have to turn around if you're sitting on the front row and sing backwards to the people, but thinking of singing God's praises over the community. In the early days of Trinity, we only had one med student who could kind of play the guitar. And we, this is kind of embarrassing, but we'd actually only sing in our gatherings like once a month. I know that's hard for, for some people to, to remember. Um, by the way, if you ask yourself, weren't the Tylers there from the beginning? Yes, they were, but they were holding out on us for like a year and a half. And they just like walked in one morning like, yeah, we can actually sing and play guitar. It's like, that's great. But, but about once a month, <laughs> love you. Uh, God bless you. Um, but what, about once a month, we'd have a preview gathering or we'd like, here are some people we're going to come visit. We'd scramble and get our act together and have some, have some music. And we would really sing as a church. There were like 15 of us, but man, we would sing and we would really sing together because we'd missed it so dearly. It had been like a month since the last time we sang together and we needed, we're like, man, we really need to be singing together in community. Maybe that's what finally motivated the Tylers to tell us uh, who they really were. But now, but now it's a beautiful thing to see how far the Lord has taken us and, you know, now we have night worship nights together and whole nights devoted to prayer and to worship. And, and I have seen how the Lord has, has brought many of you from, from a place of a more stale worship to more embodied and to, and to more spirit responding worship. And I am just so thankful to God for what he has done in this place. And then finally, on the practicing together front, you know, I got to plug CGs. Community groups are an ideal time for us to, to practice um, prayer and praise together. So when you're praying for someone in community group, uh, try, like when they give you a prayer request, just pray for them, but try starting and ending the prayer and praise. Like you still pray for your brother, right? But then throw in at the front, like throw in a, like a little praise at the front. Um, and then also throw in a little praise at the end, which is, for some reason, for me, like the harder thing to do, I can like start my prayer and praise. And then when I like, get into the real weeds of it, I'm like, oh, geez, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens here. But end your prayers for your brothers and sisters and praise. And, and, and just like start exploring what it looks like for you as a group to, to, to weave in praise together as a community in prayer. All right, so power. Praise to God in prayer. It powerfully transforms us. It's, it's really interesting that for all the differences and divisiveness of Christianity in the world, 
there's this shocking amount of consensus about the purpose and power of prayer across traditions. So anyone who, regardless, Protestant, Catholic, Reformed, Charismatic, anyone who seems to have deeply practiced and studied prayer, they're all saying that, that prayer is about intimacy with God and the power comes from being transformed by God himself and his presence. David Benner says, we do not pray so we can get God's attention. We pray so that God will get our attention. We pray so that as our attentiveness to God increases, our souls may be shaped by the reality of God's constant, loving, self-revealing presence. We do not pray so we get God's attention. We pray so that God gets our attention. The Psalms end in praise because the end, the destination of our very existence is praise. If prayer is a journey to God's mountain, then praise is where we will find ourselves when we finally reach the top. In Psalm 145, there isn't even a hint of complaining. It's just total and complete praise. And therefore, praise and prayer today powerfully transforms you into the identity as worshipers who enjoy God and will bring him glory forever. Furthermore, praise and power, pray, or prayer is powerful because, um, and praise is powerful because it advances God's kingdom where Jesus reigns as king and our victory is secured. Listen to verse 13 in Psalm 145. He foreshadows the kingdom of Jesus and he says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generation. In a kingdom where the purpose is Christ's glory, Praise is a key way that we participate. We push back the powers of darkness as we praise his great name because we foreshadow for all creation, including the evil one, when they will bow down and praise Christ as king. Paul talks about this in Philippians 2. He gets a little riled up and he says, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is King, right? And he gave what the early church called uh, the Eucharist, uh, which literally means Thanksgiving. And so we call it communion here, but many other traditions uh, continue to call it the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, which is a picture um, of the praise and thanksgiving we bring to Jesus when we take um, of his body and blood shed for us um, together. Communion is this wonderful and clear picture of us participating and, and responding to get the work that God has done, right? You can't have communion here this morning without the work of Jesus himself. And Jesus is worthy of all praise and worship because it's in him that all of our sin and brokenness and shame and separation from God is redeemed. His sacrifice for us on the cross and his resurrection is what gave us new life with him. And it is what makes him our king and worthy of our praise. In Jesus, all God's promises and all the Psalms of old, they find their yes and amen. It is the work of Jesus and the sending of his spirit. That is what compel us to praise. Praising God in prayer uh, today, it forms us into the worshipers that we're going to be 
forever. It forms us into the forever worshipers that we are becoming now. So I encourage us another chance to respond. Let's practice praising Jesus in song and in the Eucharist this morning. So, so I'll pray and then we'll, and then we'll move on. Father, I pray that you would transform us by the power of, of praise and prayer. I think, of, I think of Psalm 145, and the psalmist says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Lord, help us to read that psalm as one day, Lord, in eternity, I will exalt you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day in the new heavens and the new earth, I will praise you and I will extol your name forever and ever in your presence. Lord, what a privilege it is to praise you, to be the redeemed people of Christ that have your Holy Spirit who invites us to praise. What a distinct privilege it is to be able to commune with the God of the universe because of the blood of Jesus shed for us, who prays for us and intercedes for us so that we might participate now in the forever praise for the forever worshipers, redeemed worshipers that we will be in eternity. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make us more receptive to your spirit, more receptive to your promises and to your, to your leading of us. Give us a, um, give us a perspective that is, that is beyond the temporal, that we, might, that we might see you, Jesus, as the eternal king forever. And Lord, I pray for boldness too, to respond to your spirit. I pray over this church, um, for the last couple of years, we've been praying to be a worshiping and praying church. Lord, don't, don't stop. Please don't stop the work that you're doing here. Continue to form us. Give us a vision for what you have for us next. And pray that we would be worshipers today as we, as we practice what we will be for eternity. Amen.